When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, if you want to help support the show, head on over to our Patreon. An exclusive reward for our show's patrons is access to our Discord server. Check the link in the description for more info. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mind Sculptors. I just want to say this right away. Last night, I was having a little bit of an issue with my microphone, uh, so my audio might sound a little weird. Everybody else sounds great, but mine might sound just a little strange, so... Keep that in mind and hope you enjoy the show. And welcome everybody in. This is the Mind Sculptors. I am your host, Callahan, and boy, do we have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, joining me today are three of the most prolific duck builders in competitive age. Joining me today, uh, one of my friends from close here is Phoenix, uh, another good friend of my Cobblepot, and joining us today from Team Turn 3 is Pongo. Thanks, you guys, for coming in. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you all on today. Um, but we do have a lot of talk to a lot for the four of us to talk about today. But before we get into it, I do want to address... One small thing that I have uh, missed, one small mistake that I have made uh, that a lot of people have pointed out to me is uh, in my video uh, on YouTube, I have misspelled sculptor as sculpt poor. Uh, so I will be fixing that. I can't fix the videos. I, I, I can't go back in and do that, but I will be fixing thumbnails. So uh, thank you to the people, including Cobblepot, who pointed that <laughs> out to me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Whatever we can do to help, you know. That's... Yeah. Can't you just sculpt people's minds so that they don't notice the typo? <laughs> I had a friend who uh, who sent me. I saw that. And I sent it to him, and he goes, "It's a uh, gaze the tome sculpt sculpt poor." Right. And I just thought it was hilarious. Just say uh, that it's gaslighting. That no, it, it's yes. correctly spelled, and that <laughs> you're wrong. It's been spelled right the entire time. Right, what are you talking yeah, about? I don't know what you're talking about. Bernstein Bears situation. <laughs> We're going to get another version of Jay's Chase the Gaslighter. That's right. <laughs> well, um, I really, I really, honestly, I do appreciate everybody being able to come on and talk. And uh, part of why I wanted to have everybody on, specifically you three, is uh, I think it's very interesting. We all, specifically you three, I kind of got in on this, but you three more so than anybody else. Uh, independently all kind of started making these uh, it started off as Thrasios Timna and kind of evolved into Kenrith. These Kenrith stacks lists uh, probably most famously on Twitter people would know, see that as the Fairer Magic list uh, by Cobblepot and so I wanted to have you all on so uh, there's three deck lists specifically um the uh, obviously there's cobble pots, fairer magic, which is a pain in the ass to say, by the way, on radio That's or on also podcast. Helpful. Yes. Um, there is secret commander Dan or Dranith Magistrate, uh, which is by uh, Phoenix, and then 
Pongo's Your isn't even is even harder to say over audio. King K rule, but it's R O L for rule of law. Um, so first, we're going to start off right now. We'll actually just start off with Pongo. So Pongo, how did you come up with this idea uh, at the beginning? Uh, yeah. So essentially, I remember um, it's a few weeks ago now. Uh, you know, everything feels so far away now. But um, <laughs> the Archon of Amuria was was spoiled, and I remember you know everyone was freaking out because this card is absolutely absurd. Uh, you know, taking a rule of law and just stapling on sort of like the the better part of Thalia, uh, the the newer Thalia, I should say, right. um, Heretic Cathar, you know, and and making it well, it's it's one sided naturally, um, you know, very very strong card, uh, and so this made me want to revisit sort of these old decks that I had worked on like a very very long time ago, you know, even a little bit, um, well, certainly during the time that flash was still legal um and uh you know well before we uh, all kind of got fed up with that card let's say um so basically this idea of having a thrasios timna stacks deck um you know using you know sort of in a similar vein to a deck like like blood pod where you're leaning on timna as a uh, powerful card draw engine uh with your hate bear effects uh and you know this was really much uh really very much at the time inspired by the fact that i you know, played a ton, a ton of Derevi. You know, Derevi to this day is one of my favorite commanders. Um, and so I essentially wanted to address uh, one of the biggest issues that Derevi has, which is she doesn't have black in her color identity. Um, <laughs> so, you know, having Thrasius and Timna to uh, to essentially, you know, get access to black with uh, Derevi's color identity and that kind of game plan, um, you know, proved to be like a pretty popular idea, actually. And I remember, uh, you know, Quite a few people at the time were pretty excited about the deck. Um, shortly after that, Najila was spoiled, and you know I became <laughs> entirely obsessed with Najila on the one hand, because listen, if there's one thing that's better than adding black to Derevi, it's playing Derevi as a win condition in a five-color deck. Um, so, and so not in a stacks way either. Not even in a stacks way, no. Um, but you know, there, there's the additional issue, which is that. Stacks became, you know, increasingly untenable um, because, you know, if you're going to try to slow down the game like that and, you know, you now have this, uh, you know, new bad B on the block who is really, really capable of taking advantage of that dynamic um, and just beating face, you know, it, it becomes much, much harder to uh, to play that particular type of game plan, specifically like the classic Derevi game plan. Uh, you know, we, we can talk about whether or not that was in a good place to begin with anyway, but that's a whole other topic. Um, so, you know, long, long story. <laughs> I'm sorry for taking all this time. Oh, but but, but basically, good. yeah, so I was interested in revisiting this idea, but at the same time I was like, well, you know, like, how can I justify playing, like, more rule of law effects? Like, if I'm playing Thrasius and Timna, it's kind of more reasonable to want to be playing win conditions that um win win conditions that don't that work ideally without rule of law in play things like thassa's oracle and demonic consultation it's really hard to justify pulling away from that game plan from an optimization perspective so i was like okay well i have to find a way to justify at least to me um playing rule of law effects 
And so I actually thought about, you know, tech that was being played in, uh, you know, Mono White Helion and in um, Lavinia as well. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we have combos with Rule of Law. Um, you know, we can essentially assemble a hard lock by playing like a Knowledge Pool plus Rule of Law uh, effect. Or uh, Dranith Magistrate was the other really big card that got printed that mm -hmm. really pushed that to the forefront. So I said, okay, well, this is the plan that I want to build around is, uh, you know, in particular the Lavinia, like Dranith Magistrate locks, but also the fact, you know, that we can play these rule of law effects that also fit into the lock. And additionally, that Flash is now banned. Rule of law is better positioned in the meta right. because everyone's playing Turbo Nas decks. So all these things coming together kind of prompted me to want to explore this direction, let's say. Right. And you and Phoenix started working on these kind of together, if I'm correct, uh, about maybe a month or two ago. Because um, he would kind of share things with me in our group chat. Um, and so uh, next, I'll, I'll just kind of move it to Phoenix because you kind of jump off of that. Where was it with you? You also are uh, helped me do and run the Lavinia primers. So just kind of share some of where you were at. Yeah, so Pongo, if I remember right, Pongo pinged me and was like, hey, you play Lavinia, what do you think of this deck list? And then I did what everyone does when they see a good deck and they steal it and then make it better. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of where my Seeker Commander Dan, which definitely has the least fun name, um, came from. And then at that point, it was running into the... Um, the Lavinia and the Knowledge Pool locks, and then finding ways to win the game by casting no spells. Um, because Knowledge Pool and a Rule of Law doesn't let anyone cast any spells except for commanders. And so Kenrith then ended up coming from there, and right. some other discussions close to that. Right. And that's interesting. So, and because we had kind of discussed, and we're, this is a topic we're going to jump into here in a moment. Um, so uh, coming over to Cobblepot, you and I, uh, last Sunday did kind of talk a little bit, uh, about specifically, uh, how Fair Magic kind of evolved, all those things. Uh, but for those who haven't listened to that episode yet, if you haven't, you should, um, just give us a brief recap because your experience, uh, if I'm hearing this correctly, was very similar to Pongo's. Right. So... So the, the original list was called Fair Magic, and it was a Thrasios and Timna list, kind of very similar to, to, to what Pongo was, was describing, um, but it was completely independent. And the, the idea was that uh, that list came about while Flash was still legal, and it itself was a Flash Hulk list that made its... Uh, you know, the, the, the central premise of the list was to make it so that nobody could play Flash Hulk profitably. Um, so the idea was, it, and it was, it started off as a meme because it ran Flash Hulk, but none of the Hulk piles won the game. They only put the game into completely untenable locks that nobody could win out of. So you would do, you know, you do a Flash Hulk and then put Archon of Valor's Reach on, onto the battlefield and name instant. And then, so everybody who was completely all in on either Flash or Ad Nauseam at the time was completely out of luck and they weren't able to, to do anything from that. And the, the idea was that it also ran uh, Chalice of the Void, Sanctum Prelate, and it would, and it ran 
uh, mirror effects. So, you know, uh, phantasmal image and mirror image with the idea of either copying Sanctum Prelate. So you could say nobody can cast spells that are one, two, or three, or you would copy Archon of Valor's Reach and say uh, no one can cast instants, no one can cast sorceries, no one can cast enchantments or something like that. And then the idea was you would win through creature beats. And it was a Thrasios and Timna list, so it had a very you know strong kind of Timna synergy with creature beats and so on. And mm-hmm. uh, it had, I think, a similar spirit to to what what Pongo was talking about, where it if if it could have been done as a Derevi list, I probably would have started it there. But the tutors that are available for enchantments and kind of the lock pieces just aren't there uh, in Bant and access to the black tutors was kind of the thing that I wanted. Um, and then what happened was once flash got banned and the, the meta shifted over to kind of everybody being on consult and Oracle or on turbo Nas, um, like, like we've kind of been saying here, uh, rule of law, rule of law does nothing to flash Hulk because you, you, you cast one spell and you win. So you don't need, more than one spell you could um, argue it makes flash hulk harder stronger. to deal with it does yeah. it does because um it makes it less likely that other people are going to be able to disrupt you um or it makes it more powerful if you're able to to get a grand abolisher or something like that into play as well or you can do so, it on top of somebody else and all those things like there's lots of different ways to do it all of those things so uh with rule of law being better positioned the idea was to kind of shift some of that technology kind of um, maybe away from just hard hating on all of the the, the instant um, apparatus that people were, were running at that point and getting more uh, synergy from locking people down on rule of law and then piling on top of that uh, advantages for being able to break parity with a rule of law on the table. So uh, we'll get into that, I think, in further discussion. Right. And so, and that's that's really interesting because we we you all kind of got to this point where uh, specifically Pongo and Cobblepot, where we we moved from Timna and Thrasios, and I, I had tried like uh, my my experience because I had tried a list like this maybe in January uh, where I was going I want to try doing like four color Lavinia, um, and so I you know, put it together, it was fine or whatever, and I just kind of tabled it after a while because, you know, flash. And, uh, you know, the the move to Kenrith brings a lot to the table. Um, and so, really, you know, if you would, Pongo, so what is it that Kenrith really brings to the table over Thrasius and Tinna, two of the best, if not the best commanders in the game? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I remember, and this kind of like goes back to when Phoenix and I were like really discussing this list early on. Um, Phoenix was sort of coming at the list, obviously with a lot of interest, because, you know, spiritually it's very similar to Lavinia. Um, however, you know, Phoenix's sort of big input was like, and, and this was also something I was, I was grappling with as kind of an issue as well. Uh, Phoenix mentions that... Well, you know, even after you assemble the lock, um, you know, you have to kind of still win the game. Um, and and it turns out that when you get into that position, 
um, some commanders just end up being very problematic for you, <laughs> and chief among them happens to be Kenrith, because Kenrith, first of all, you can cast things from your command zone, even under the lock. Important right. important point. Um, but additionally, Kenrith brings you know several abilities that let you essentially break parity on these rule of law effects because you get to spend your mana where other people don't get to spend their mana, you know, other than casting their one spell a turn. You know, why are rule of law effects famously really, really bad in lower power formats? Well, because if somebody casts like a nine drop spell, that's going to have a tremendous impact on the game, even if it's their one spell per turn. We're playing a bunch of lower impact, sort of more efficient spells. Um, so... You know, part of breaking one one way to break parity on that is to literally have four abilities or five abilities on tap um, that are going to let you spend all that excess mana that you might have drawing cards. You know, pumping your commander to have a really powerful clock, being able to give him trample, and you know, kind of importantly, like also being able to make other people draw cards, which is something I'm sure we'll come back to as an idea. Um, so, so Kenrith was kind of like the natural transition because we said, you know. I mean, we have the four colors from Thrasios and Timna, and, like, that's kind of important, um, which is fine. But, like, how do we actually win the game? I I think I, like, floated some r truly awful tech to Phoenix, like Pelucranos <laughs> Unchained. If, oh you can, like, if you can draw up to eight cards and then, like, put him into... After discarding him, you, like, put him into play by escaping him, which can get around your knowledge pool lock. You know, you can fight everything of... of importance on the board and have a 12-12 that you win with um again truly truly <laughs> awful ideas and i just said well wow. listen let's just let's just play kenrith i think um you know no point getting cute no point trying to solve this problem in a sort of roundabout way let's just uh you know let's play the card that we don't want to see at the other end of the table yeah now, that's to, oh, to maybe Sorry. yeah to, to to add a little bit of that as well um being a stacks list, you you really want to, to keep your hate pieces on the board and kind of savvy players that are going to be playing against you are going to be kind of very surgical and trying to remove the, the you know, the, the selected pieces that you have, um, especially things like your Dranath Magistrate or, you know, Lavinia. And being able to have on tap a commander that is able to just kind of put, put those things right back into play um, you know, very selectively uh, through its reanimation ability is, is really good, as well as um, giving you the, the haste ability for, uh, I, I think mine is the only list that runs Hermit Druid, but Hermit Druid is, is, is famously terrible if you don't have a way to give your, your, your Hermit Druid uh, haste because you're just telegraphing to everybody what it is that you're doing. So being able to get either a Hermit Druid or a Yisan or a Fiend Artisan or something like that that requires a tap activation um, to, to get those into play and, and get value out of them before somebody else is able to react to them. Uh, the the haste ability is, is very pertinent. And um, that was actually the main thing that pushed the Timna and Thrasios away in favor of replacing it with Kenrith. And just to add on to... All of those things, which I completely agree with. Um, I think a lot of the experience from Lavinia and landing the Lavinia lock and then seeing which commanders are the worst to see across from the table is definitely where the idea came from. I mean, when you lock the table like that, the three worst commanders are definitely Kenrith, <laughs> Najila, and Yisong. 
and Yisan doesn't have any of the colors that we're really looking at in this case. Right. Godo's really bad against us Godo's too. Also bad. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't care about really anything. They just want to attack. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of, you know, we how Godo wins the game, uh, Phoenix, if you could for me, just kind of give me a rundown of what it is that these decks are doing. Because, you know, you all have different kind of ways to doing it, uh, but they all kind of have some overlapping pieces there. So what is it that these this deck is really kind of doing? Uh, and then we could kind of touch on what our differences are there in a minute. Yeah, so mine probably has the least amount of actual win conditions in it out of all the three. Um, the first win condition is definitely making infinite mana, and then whatever way you're making infinite mana, whether that be f uh, MEL and Dockside, etc. Um, Finale of Devastation is a big one because it can give you X is equal to 10, pump all your creatures, uh, kill everybody at the table, basically. Um, the next one would be if you can get Kenrith out and get infinite mana, you can activate Kenrith's draw ability and target everyone at the table other than yourself and make them draw their decks. And then on mine, the last one would be I specifically have Sun Titan and I have Kenrith uh, for when you're in those lock situations where you just repeatedly attack people. Right. Well, and we kind of found that out through playtesting that a little bit where I was playing specifically, I want to say it was an older version of Cobblepot's list. And I had Sylvan Safekeeper, Sun Titan out, and Dan. And once you get those out, it's really hard to get rid of the Sun Titan. Yeah, at that point, you're looking for Cyclonic Rift or maybe a Toxic Deluge, and that is only if those cards aren't protected. Right. By some sort of counterspell or something like that. Right. Now, um, Cobblepot, with yours, you have the Finale of Devastation win. You have the Kenra Draw ability win. But you also are very uniquely uh, playing Elishnorn, Dovescape, and also Thassa's Oracle. Yeah, elaborate right. on that a little bit for me. Sure. So um, the, the, the idea is that we, we want to be as kind of resilient to whatever it is that's happening on the table and we want to be able to have a win even if for whatever reason we're not able to remove whatever it is that's keeping us from winning so um, we've got different ways to generate infinite mana um, the dockside way is, is is going to be you know requiring us to be able to to uh, ability to activate artifacts for instance so if there's a null rod effect um, you know we can pivot and instead use uh, derevi and gaius cradle and MEL to, to be able to do the same thing. Um, or if, you know, we don't have uh, creature activations, you know, uh, Finale of Devastation is also a, a way to, to go through that. Um, but it's, we, rather than just kind of putting all of our eggs in the, the, the basket of, of being able to generate infinite mana, um, I wanted to have kind of more sudden um, responses or, uh, like I said, if, if you see a Hermit Druid on the table, um, people know exactly what's what's happening. And if you give them an opportunity to interact with it, they will uh, take measures. Um, sometimes in, in, in the old days when, you know, Thassa's Oracle wasn't a thing and you had Lab Maniac, 
it was absolutely profitable to just play Lab Maniac naked out onto the board because people would freak out about it and it would draw attention and people would spend their resources trying to interact with it when maybe that wasn't at all the thing that you were using. Um, like maybe you had a completely different plan online that you wanted to use to, to win. Um, in this, this particular case, having a couple of different options um, that you can kind of, uh, situations that you can kind of emergently create to be able to, to interact with different situations that are happening on the board. Being able to say, I want to have a hermit druid so that I can have an oracle line just in case something is keeping me from doing my infinite mana lines. Uh, I, I wanted to be able to, to, to have that just so that um, opponents need to be prepared for both possibilities. And so it just kind of gives you a, a, a greater surface area of ways to attack the table and to kind of not care if there's certain types of hate that are going to disrupt the line that you want to go through. Um, Elish Norn is there. So, I mean, Elish Norn is a great hate piece just kind of in general. Um, there's there's a ton of lines that just don't work at all if there's an opposing Elish Norn for, for a lot of people. Um, so uh, just on its own, it does a lot of work. But uh, in, in my particular list, having Dovescape be one of kind of the central it's not a lock but it's extremely difficult for most lists to weasel their way through if it ever resolves and gets onto the board um dovescape creates this sub game where it becomes all right everybody tries to to race and create as many birds as they can then attack the dovescape player to get the dovescape off the board because that's the only <laughs> interaction that they have so if you have a means of getting a tabernacle i don't run tabernacle in this list but that's often coupled with Dovescape, um, some some way of keeping those birds off the table, um, then that allows that, uh, it, it, it makes the Dovescape to be much more intractable for your opponents. So being able to have a Dovescape and an Elish Norn um, just makes it lights out. Um, and for, for the decks that don't care about Dovescape, like Najila, then Elish Norn makes it impos almost impossible for them to, to figure out a way through. Right. Oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I think I mean, and I think it's very interesting because you know we talk about these differences, you know, especially um, you know we're talking about the Sun Titan, the Elish Norn. But I think very interestingly, of the three of you, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pongo, yours is probably the slimmest of the three when it really comes to wing uh, packages. Uh, yeah, so pretty recently, I think I, I even slimmed down even further, so that might be why Phoenix thought uh, that I, I was playing a few extra combo pieces. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's it's been a I don't know over a week or two weeks I think now that uh that I've I've slimmed down on that package a bit. Um, so essentially, my philosophy in general is that um, I I like to optimize around um, my openers. And so I generally shy away from cards that I find awkward in my opening hands, um, preferring to have as much as possible uh, cards that are going to sort of bridge the gap from the early game into the later game for me. And I just feel like we're inherently so favored in that later game as is that it's, at least in my opinion, it's less crucial to be focusing on those top end finishers. Um, we kind of already have everything that we need as far as I'm concerned just in in Kenrith and a few of the other uh, big big uh, sort of 
top end pieces that that we kind of just want to play in general um beyond that you know i keep a pretty slim sort of win package of emil and just dockside um as far as infinite mana is concerned uh yes that that leaves a certain um weakness to you know like something like a null rod effect but as far as i'm concerned if there's a deck at the table playing null rod that plays very well to our strengths in general anyway um and i'm more than happy to just lean on kenrith i think at that point to uh to beat people down um win the game and sort of take advantage of the fact that other people at the table are playing stacks and that sort of we are going to hard lock them out of the game so that they're not going to be able to win <laughs> and we're um we're gonna have a much much better plan in the command zone than they could possibly have right now i mean and i think this is interesting and uh, this is something that I really want to touch on because I think what this highlights specifically is how, first of all, how versatile the list can be, right? You know, we've got three different takes on this where, you know, we kind of got different spins and it can really be tooled to the different play styles, right? Where, you know, it's very easy to look at like Cobblepot, a lot of your lists, you really like to layer your wins around all sorts of different stuff. Um, and then you look at maybe somebody like Pongo, for instance, uh, where it's just very slim, very compact. Um, and then you have Phoenix, who's somewhere in the middle. And I just think it's interesting to highlight how your play style does impact uh, the construction of the deck. But ultimately, it's like the same thing, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That... I would say, sorry. Oh, sorry, Cobble. Um, Go for it, Pongo. I just had a quick point. Um, I would say also, you know, there's there's certainly meta considerations as well. Right. Um, you know, I could see that, I could see myself within a certain play group, for example, or within uh, certain expected matchups, um, being far more okay with like leaning into more top end. Um, right now, I, I like to build my lists kind of with the assumption of like the worst, which is that I might get, you know, paired off against like three really really fast decks. And that kind of some of the narrower pieces um, might not necessarily be relevant. So, you know, I, I do like to build my lists kind of with a not a, not a pessimistic view, but but kind of a particular view of what I'm expecting to see, um, rather than a like generalist kind of like catch all have have a toolbox for possibly any possible situation. But you know having in having that toolbox potentially uh giving up some uh some per uh, some percentage points in like mm -hmm. the 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 very worst cases mm -hmm. what were you, you Ponga, you had a point what was it you you wanted to touch on so that was my point all right excuse yeah. me um i meant <laughs> cobble pot i was looking at the wrong thing in the in the screen <laughs> <laughs> no um i i i think i that's that's pretty close to to what i was gonna say um where meta considerations are going to cause you to devote slots to either uh if if you've got a meta that's really saturated with a certain type of hate or a certain commander or you know you know that you're going to see um, one particular style of gameplay more often than others then that's going to cause you to maybe be um a, a little bit more generous in your 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 slot designations for pieces that are going to integrate that are going to interact more profitably for you against those particular decks. And I think that could possibly be part of, you know, kind of some of the, 
the, the nuances and differences that you're seeing across the lists. Right. And so uh, kind of moving to the next portion of this, right? And this is something, uh, Cobblepot, you and I had discussed last week, um, was this difference between win cons and combos and how combos are this, you know, combination, not to be silly with my word choice, of cards that enable you to win the game. So what we're looking at here, uh, we've got kind of all these different combos, some of them that overlap, uh, Dranath Magistrate, Lavinia, a rule of law effect. Uh, one interesting thing that I think is very interesting, all three of you, uh, and I think it was Cobblepot who initiated this, are playing Possibility Storm with all of this. And uh, yeah, I think that was one of the texts that I saw, and I was like, oh my gosh, that makes total sense. Um, Cobblepot, if you want to go through some of the win cons here for or excuse me, combos here for us. Sure. So... Um, like you were just saying, uh, Possibility Storm is, is one of those things that just happens to, to fit very well in a shell that is devoting a lot of resources to kind of a rule of law plan. So because of the fact that, you know, in the, in the past, you know, in the past year, we've gotten at least two additional rule of law effects that we've kind of added to the repertoire, um, that makes a, a, a kind of a game plan that's built around it much more consistent be just because you have more of the you have more of those available to you um, but being able to build in uh, these these different types of locks that kind of accentuate the the the, the, the imperity that, that you have uh, with your your opponents when you when you get for instance a, a rule of law plus a possibility storm um, or much more profitably a, a Dranath magistrate or a Lavinia with a possibility storm um, those those wind up being really really good additions to the lists mm -hmm. so um, the my particular list is a, a, a lot of the engine pieces are are built around creatures that can that, that can advance the your board state without requiring you to cast any spells so because of the fact that we want to be able to uh, get the game into a situation where people can either only cast one spell you're throttling them or people can't cast any spells at all situations where you've got you know possibility storm or dovescape or those kinds of things um, you still want to be able to be active and Kenrith is is a great way to kind of maintain that, uh, but in my particular list, I'm you know running Yisan and Birthing Pod and Fiend Artisan and Academy Rector and um, Academy Rector, which used to just be uh, a piece that was mainly about getting Dovescape into play, and uh, in an earlier incarnation of the list, getting Living Plane into play, um, it wound up being because it's so strong because possibility storm is so strong with the other pieces that we were already playing namely lavinia and dranath magistrate it made sense since academy rector very easily is able to pivot and you know kind of get you the 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 big lock piece that makes the most sense for the certain circumstance 
that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you've got a Dranath Magistrate or you've got a rule of law on the table, then you just go and you, you get a possibility storm onto the battlefield. Um, if you don't have one of those already, then just throwing a Dovescape into the middle of the field is going to cause most CEDH decks to have a lot of trouble being able to put together anything that looks remotely like what their normal game plan is. So uh, being able to get either one of those off of something like an Academy Rector is a, is a big motivating factor for having those there. And because of the fact that we have so many of these pieces, I think all three of the decks are, are running Fiend Artisan. Um, mine might be the only one that's running uh, Rector and Yisan and Birthing Pod. Um, all of those are are engine pieces that can kind of let you select the thing that you need that the you know the piece of hate that you that you need to lock down the specific decks that you're playing against at you know a, a very kind of precise time. So once you got Fiend Artisan, you can very very you know you, you've kind of got surgical control over being able to say I need to go and get Tranith Magistrate right now or I need to go and get Dockside, and I need to win right now. Um, having the flexibility to be able to just put the thing that you need into into play through a, a possibility storm, or you know, through a rule of law, and have that not count as your casted spell for the turn uh, is a, a really powerful dynamic to be able to bring to the table because it allows you just to to continue your game plan while everybody else is kind of stuck it something that is parody with each other but not parody with you right now and so and so we go through all that one of the combos that's on there help me understand this i i feel like i kind of understand how it is but just for clarification so phoenix all three of you have the dockside phantasmal image plus kenrith combo explain what is going on there for me yeah so the situation that this is i mean so these combination of cards work even if you say have played a dockside to power out your kenrith or something like that so the dockside just needs to be on the battlefield um you can get it there from the graveyard with kenrith's ability things like that um and then if kenrith kenrith is out and you have enough mana off of the dockside trigger you can play phantasmal image as a copy of dockside and then once you've made enough treasures, I think it's seven, six. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's I think the... you need eight to make it infinite. I think it is eight for yeah, because you need to spend five to reanimate. You need two to target the phantasmal image with the plus yeah. one plus one ability, and then you need to net one. Yeah, so eight. So then uh, what you do is you use the Kenris plus one plus one ability, like Pongo said. And you target the phantasmal image, which triggers the phantasmal image, and then it goes to the graveyard. And then you use the reanimate ability from Kenrith to put the phantasmal image back on the battlefield as a copy of okay. the Duckside Extortionist. That's kind of what I thought was going on, uh, but I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't like, I think that's how that works. So correct me if I'm wrong, that's very situational, because that's going to require... There are, uh, you said eight, right, Cobble? There's either these be eight. Treasures you to be able loop. to produce eight treasures per loop mm-hmm. in order for it to work. Right. Okay. But it's 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 more compact than it. It's more mana compact on your side than MEL plus Dockside, which is you know mm-hmm. six plus three as opposed to uh, 
four plus two. So if you're in a situation where you're able to, where, where the, the, the table affords it, and a lot of times the table will afford it, depending on the metagame that you're in. Uh, it's not that hard to get to eight treasures per loop. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's slimmer in, in its startup cost than, than the MEL plus Dockside loop happens to be. And also, uh, Phantasmal Image, you know, depending on your metagame, is going to be really flexible mm-hmm. for, I mean, a lot of times when, when people, especially if you're a Kenrith person, um, getting your Kenrith Gilded Draked uh, feels really bad, but then you have a Phantasmal Image to go and copy the, the Gilded Drake and get your Kenrith back, and then you put plus one, plus one counter on the Gilded Drake, and then it dies, and then you can reuse it for other circumstances and stuff like that. So it kind of winds up being this Swiss Army knife of uh, whatever you you need to copy that's on the board to be able to gain advantage, and then whenever you need to reclaim it to become a Dockside, you just put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and then you're off to the races. So it's right. it's very flexible um, in that way, and none of those things require a cast again. So you can do all of that stuff without impacting your, your you know, your rule of law quota, or you know, you can do it through possibility storm and all that. And and that was something we had mentioned too. Um, I know we talked about this last last time we were on. Is uh, the fact that phantasmal we're playing CDH? Odds are we aren't playing bad creatures. Uh, so phantasmal image really is able to be whatever we need it to be given the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but everybody's kind of got these different key cards. Um, so Pongo, you know, when we're talking about your list, uh, what are some of the more like important key pieces, uh, infrastructure with that deck uh, that you would say? So I would say um, sort of where there's sort of core differences in my in my build and you know Phoenix's build sort of uh, uh, by extension um, is more in the inclusion of stack based interaction alongside the permanent based disruption. Um, so what I'm really building towards is the uh, actual fairly powerful synergy between uh, counter spells and rule of law effects. Um, you know, if you're in a situation where you've got a rule of law effect in play and you happen to have a commander that can seriously pressure people, um, or, you know, you just happen to be ahead otherwise, you know, you don't necessarily need to commit more to the board from that point on. However, if you happen to have counter spells in hand, you know, no one's going to be able to send removal at your hate pieces or your lock pieces, um, without you having some say in the matter, uh, in return. Um, so, you know, not only do these cards let you sort of bridge the early game, um, you know, protect you from like very, very fast wins, um, by uh, interacting on the stack, but they also later on allow you to protect your board. Um, and I, I do think that this deck, particularly against some of like the faster ad nauseum decks is going to be able to develop a board very rapidly that, you know, puts them on a very quick clock. Um, and from that point on, really just wants to protect it against whatever uh, they're, they're going to plan on doing to uh, to disrupt or to break out of your disruption. You know, it's it's sort of analogous idea to vintage decks playing Deafening Silence for their mm-hmm. like paradoxical outcome or like you know um, 
like doomsday matchups because right. the second that they try to go to remove your deafening silence, you force of will back and it's over. <laughs> You've said, <laughs> I, I've decided what's happening now. Admittedly, the dynamic's a little different in multiplayer. Right. Um, and that's where I also bring in, um, you know, I think pieces that are common to all of us, um, sort of a lot of these permanent base pieces that are also going to either protect you during your turn. Um, so like things like Grand Abolisher, things like Vexing Shusher, um, you know, Vexing Shusher also protects you on other people's turns, but uh, also, you know, like Sylvan Safekeeper that uh, is capable of protecting your, your hate pieces in play. Um, you know, these things are an additional layer of protection um, that make it so that you can kind of still be holding up your counter magic uh, to interact profitably with what your opponents are going to be trying to do to uh, break out of your lock. Uh, again, break uh, bridge that early game and then also just make it sort of really unrealistic or as unrealistic as possible that people are able to break out of your lock. Right. Well, and it's interesting um, because, you know, we were talking before we got into it uh, with, you know, Cobblepot, you know, I noticed the, you know, you and Pongo and Phoenix are on, you know, counter magic. You know, you guys are running... It, it's certainly a slimmer, right, uh, counter suite than most uh, control or stacks lists might play. Uh, running 22 and 23 instance, respectively. But then I move over and I see Cobblepot's list. And I see 11 instance. And the only counter in the deck is Mental Misstep. That was a very conscious choice, wasn't it? Well, yeah. So... Um, so, so my list is like, like I was saying before, um, one, one of the main kind of arcs of the list is to be keeping people off of instants and sorceries or keeping people off of, uh, non-creature spells that are one CMC and two CMC and three CMC when possible. Uh, you know, the idea being that if you can, you know, get a chalice on one and you can get, you know, a sanctum prelate on two, or if you can get, uh, you know, a Sanctum Prelate on one and then copy it with a Phantasmal Image on, you know, to cover the a couple of the, you know, the low CMCs, that winds up being a, a really intractable place for a lot of the CEDH metagame to be able to play against, just because if, if, you, if you run the numbers and you look at the non-creature spells that they have in those slots, um, just shutting off one CMC is, is going gonna, is gonna to hit about 50% of the 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 action that most of the decks are going to be running and if you hit it uh, one and two cmc then it's up to about 75 percent so uh because that is a main line in my list and because dovescape is in there as well with the intent of forcing people to not be able to uh play on those axes uh i'm protecting my own stuff along that using Allosaurus Shepherd and Destiny Spinner and Vexing Shusher so I can kind of break parity with my permanence and, you know, be able to get, uh, you know, enchantments down through a Dovescape or be able to get, you know, uh, green spells through, you know, the, the a chalice, depending on, you know, what, what particular number it's on. Um, it isn't profitable when that is as, as deep of a, a, an aspect of the game plan uh, to to run things like Swan Song and you know even Swords to Plowshares and you know the, the 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 one CMC instant interaction and by taking those things out then uh, you 
see that that slimming down of, of, of what's taking place there. So mental misstep stayed just because it's something that uh, is not card disadvantage and is useful enough, often enough on turn one to be able to disrupt some problematic first turn plays that is still there. Uh, but force of will, there's not enough blue cards in the deck to warrant being able to, to, to keep that in hand because a lot of the times you won't be able to, to cast it for free just because of the uh, the part you know the partitions that are there and there's not enough blue that's 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 been there to, to support it um, with a high enough percentage to be to, to be a profitable card to run so right. um, and I, I've I've found that you know doubling down on being able on, on the cards that that say that nobody can cast anything and nobody can cast any instance at this uh, you know, either no instance at all, or you know, no instances at at, at one and two. Um, I haven't missed that type of interaction. That's that's at that uh, casting cost, just because I'm still running things like submerge, and you know, force of vigor, and the the higher CMC interaction that you can cast for free when you need to. Right. And if you really need to cast it, then there's always a vexing shusher to be able to push it through. Right. So, I circle back now. So, Pongo, you you guys, you and Phoenix are running this um, instant. Uh, this what what's the word about the counter suite? But very interestingly, of the three of you, uh, specifically between you and Pongo, Pongo, you have seven counter spells in the deck as it stands right now. Phoenix, you are running nine. Uh, Go through that selection because, interestingly, this specifically because you, I'm going to contrast this to Phoenix or to Pongo, excuse me, for a moment because you guys run a lot of the same stuff, you know, Dispel, Swan Song, Force of Will, those sorts of things. But you very uniquely are running Dovin's Veto, Flusterstorm, Red Elemental Blast. What was the thought process in putting those three in specifically? Yeah, so those are in exactly what Cobble was just saying to bridge the early game. I feel like a lot of the bad matchups are things that are faster than us. And the things that are faster than us are usually trying to cast either cast some sort of combo consultation or um, Oracle underneath our rule of law before we can get it down or cast ad nauseum as fast as possible. And so Dovin's veto is specifically in for ad nauseum. Uh, somebody tries to play ad nauseum and protect it, you Dovin's Veto, and unless they have something that makes it uncounterable, it it loses. Um, Flusterstorm is probably the most contentious because we are playing Rule of Laws, and Flusterstorm is a very bad counterspell when there are Rule of Laws. Um, and then the Red Elemental Blast is just another one CMC counter just to get us up to nine. And it can also work, uh, work specifically kind of as a... Uh removal spell if need be though too yep exactly so it's a little bit more flexible than the other ones flusterstorm would maybe be the strongest against some of those faster decks but then not quite so good once the game drags on a little bit for us which is usually the right. opposite of how flusterstorms works but right and uh and then pongo you uh you've got you know the force of will pact of negation but you are also running Force of Negation. What is the reasoning for running Force of Negation? 
Uh, yeah, so I mean, that could just as easily be like a Dovin's Veto type effect, for example. Um, as far as I'm concerned, because this uh, dex game plan um, does put in a position where you frequently find yourself not spending all your mana on your own turn, frequently passing with like a good amount of mana, either with the intention of activating Kenrith or, you know, because you're just not able to really deploy uh, cards with a high velocity. Um, you know, something like a Force of Negation, you know, you can reasonably cast it for three mana in a good number of situations, but obviously that's not the point. The point is just to, you know, like Phoenix was saying, be able to bridge the early game, um, you know, have some interaction options, um, you know, while being able to develop uh, early on. This deck is not running as many rituals and fast mana as a lot of the other decks in the format are. Um, I think that it's a little bit more sluggish uh, to sort of get its game plan up and running. Um, so I do think that given that, um, it, it is prudent to be, uh, you know, mulliganing for hands that are able to disrupt early on, you know, as early as turn one, ideally, uh, ideally turn one, obviously turn two is acceptable, um, in the majority of situations, um, you know, and having cards like Force of Negation, Force of Will, even with a relatively low blue card count, in, in my case, I'm on, I think, 17 blue spells, which is certainly on the lower end of what I would consider acceptable. Um, it, you know, you, you're mulliganing for the ability to make sure that you're going to be able to develop uh, much more of your, your uh, disruptive game plan. Um, and again, I, I think that uh, there, there's a lot of power in being able to be proactive and, and still also be able to uh, hold up some kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is kind of an interesting uh, bridge into uh, kind of where we're going next, because you speak about like mulliganing and it kind of comes down to the whole, like, you know, how do you play the deck? What are things you need to know and think about with the deck? Uh, so really, you know, Cobblepot, when we're talking about playing the deck, what are some important lines that you really feel like, um, and we'll start off with your deck, uh, that people should really think about when they're playing this list? So, I mean, I, what I think for, for probably all three lists is going to hold is that you want to be looking at your opponent, you know, you, you want to be considering what lines are going to be expected from your opponents and you you want to find the the hate pieces that are going to keep your as many opponents or the most threatening opponent off of their lines as early as you can and mm-hmm. um all all three of the lists are running a a good amount of 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 you know dorks and you know some some modest artifact ramp and that kind of thing um so a lot of times you can mulligan yourself to be able to have some acceleration in hand and be able to have a a, a, a choice of maybe one or two hate pieces in hand or at least having a tutor to be able to go and find an appropriate hate piece that is going to be impactful. A lot of times that's going to be a rule of law effect. Um, you, you want to be... You, you don't want to be looking a lot of the time as 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 the case is for a, a lot of the faster decks they're they're looking for the win as fast as you can find the win get the win um really what you want to be doing here is you want to have an idea of what your win is going to be 
but you also want to keep everybody else off of their win. And that's actually your highest priority. So if you've got an early, you know, for, for, for mine, if I've got, you know, a, a, an Imperial seal in my opening hand and I don't have, you know, a rule of law effect, then I'm, I'm probably going to be looking for either a deafening silence or a chalice of the void and get one of those things, you know, get, get that onto the board as, you know, on turn two, if possible. Um, you also want to be looking at the, the things that are going to allow you to be able to operate um, through the rule of law. So the counter magic is, it, is, is only going to be helpful in disrupting other people's lines when a rule of law is on the table. If there's a rule of law on the table and you want to cast a spell, you won't be able to use your counter magic to, to support it. And that's part of why I don't really run as any of the counter magic is um, instead you want to be on, you know, if, if you can find an early Vexing Shusher or you can find an early Allosaurus Shepherd or something like that that's going to protect your pieces as they're coming onto the board, um, that is also going to help to be able to have more predictability and making sure that you're going to be disrupting people's plans. Sometimes those things are going to get removed. Yeah, that's true. But then that's something that your opponents are spending their time on and they're losing tempo on their own game plans because they're spending their resources instead on trying to get you off of disrupting them. So I don't know if you guys want to talk more to, you know, the types of things that you're looking at. If, you know, if you, if you've got a vampiric tutor, what's the first thing that you're going to look for based on what your opponents are doing? Yeah. I mean like Pongo, uh, what is kind of, this is a great question. What is your first tutor really for the list? It's uh, in a vacuum, a little bit difficult to answer, uh, you know, it, but Tranith Magistrate obviously being uh, one of the bigger targets, I think, you know, why Phoenix's deck is aptly named. Uh, it, it's just, it's got very, very broad disruptive potential. I also think, um, you know, Opposition Agent now is a, a very, very mm -hmm. strong contender for the you type of card that I You think that's going to see play? I mean, I'm, I'm trying it out. I'm pessimistic. Uh, I'm trying it out everywhere, but I'm, I'm pessimistic. But I'm, I'm still trying it out literally everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it just, uh, it just seems, it, it, it just seems like a what's it called a even mind sensor. I mean, even mind sensor already does that. It's no big deal, right? It's even, and it flies. It's even mind sensor in worse color, right? Like yeah, yeah. Like come on, it doesn't yeah. fly. Come on. Um, no, Opposition Agent is obviously a, a stupid card. Um, you know, I can't really mince words about that. Um, so I, I do think that, um, you know, Tranith Magistrate, very, very, uh, uh, I would say one of the bigger tutor targets, Opposition Agent, mm -hmm. Archon of Emeria as well. Essentially, like, really strong 2019-2020 cards um, are pretty much always going to be, my, I think, my turn one tutor targets. <laughs> Uh, 2019 and 2020 definitely gave you some good ones. Um, so you got that. Um, one one line, and I want to bring this up because I did this in a game to Phoenix with this deck. I won the game, and it, I, I love doing it. So I want you to go over. So there's, there's this really unique thing. We were talking about kind of the differences in the deck, different lines you want to take. You are the only one on Sun Titan um what is the line around that what's the logic behind that 
Yeah, so, I mean, even specifically in that game, um, I was playing an earlier version of this deck, and you were playing an earlier version of Caldwatt's Fair Magic. Um, eventually, that game came down to the fact that there was a Sun Titan out, there was a Rule of Law out, and there was a Dranath Magistrate out. And you can kill a Dranath Magistrate and try and cast your commander, but there's a Rule of Law, and then you can try and kill the Sun Titan, but then there's still a Rule of Law and a Dranath Magistrate out, and so on and so forth. The Sun Titan is recursion for the hate pieces, and also doubles as a beater. So when the game slows down, the Sun Titan just eventually gets all of those hate pieces that people have dealt with throughout the game and puts them back out. And then there's the unique... Uh, interaction with that. You and Pongo are both playing Sylvan Safekeeper, but there's the unique interaction with that, and I found that with playing that list, of once you get Sun Titan out, and you start doing this, and you have lands to dispose, and you have a Sylvan Safekeeper, it's going to be hard to get rid of that Sun Titan, and anything else you put on the board after that. And yeah, exactly. The Sylvan Safekeeper with Sun Titan makes most of your creatures immune to spot removal. So in CDH, we're not playing a lot of things that really deals with something like that. We're playing a lot of efficient spot removal, deal with the one thing that is stopping me from winning. And right. so the Sylvan Safekeeper definitely stops people from playing those cards and uh, stopping you from stopping them in that case. Right. Now, I've talked a lot about differences between the deck. And we're gonna come back to that uh, because there there's still some differences, specifically with Cobblepot, that I wanna talk about. Um, but interestingly enough, all three of you have the same six sorceries, no more, no less, Demonic Tutor, Diabolic Intent, Eldritch Evolution, Finale of Devastation, Imperial Seal, and Neoform. Um, I mean, I don't even know who to ask about this because you all three of you came to the same conclusion. Um, so I guess, I mean, if I'm thinking Pongo. So if we're talking about, so why are these six specifically? It's it's a simple answer. I, I mean, first of all, tutors are just very, very good to have. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you kind of want to run a lot of tutors. I think that pretty much anyone who's played CEDH knows that our decks, as much as possible, are slim win conditions with like just a ton of tutors to support that. Um, but going a little bit beyond that, uh, there is this issue of you know sorceries not being particularly good um, mm -hmm. in our deck because um, you know when you often only get to cast one spell per turn, um, you know you don't have very high card velocity, so you prefer to be playing more instants or things that you can put into play at instant speed. Um, you know, so essentially, I think that's probably one of the, that's that's probably the conclusion we all kind of land on with that. Um, additionally, you know, what other sorceries do you really want to run? Like, or or maybe put a different way, um, probably you know the, the the sorcery that's conspicuously missing here that you see often played in other CEDH decks is Toxic Deluge, and mm -hmm. that's because we're on hate bears, and that's not really the, the the card that we want um we we want to be on removal that's going to be more asymmetric and um in this particular case the you know all six of those cards are, are tutors and all six of those cards are able to get us the you know uh, proactive answers for what it is that we want to be putting right. onto the table 
Well, and I was just thinking about this too, um, Carl Pot, because Eldritch Evolution in your deck has this really fun interaction where you can sack the Academy Rector to it and get both pieces to a potential lock out of right. that one active one cast. Right. There's 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 actually a, a number of 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 card. You can do the same thing with Fiend Artisan. Um, yeah. The, you know there there's there's a number of lines there where uh, the 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 card that sacrifices Academy Rector allows the Rector to go and get Possibility Storm, and then the the creature that you uh, or the the, the tutor that you're using to, to do the sacrificing goes and gets, you know, Dranith Magistrate to make it a hard lock. Um, right. So that's or very Don't efficient. leave my girl out of it. Right. I mean, most of the time you're going to, you're going to prefer to do Dranith Magistrate just because it means right. that your opponents can't cast anything at all. And most of the time that is going to be enough to get people to scoop. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, even in, Lavinia. Let's be real. Tranith Magistrate is much better than Lavinia, right? Phoenix, I mean, like. <laughs> so a lot of times Lavinia. So a lot of a lot of people look at Lavinia through the lens of, well, yeah, she's she's a combo piece. She's part of this mm -hmm. lock. But just having you know a, a, a naked, well, just just putting Lavinia out onto the table, even you know turn turn one. Mm -hmm. Will turn off people's ability to, you know, put rocks down that are free rocks. Right. Uh, it keeps people off of all of the free interaction. Um, right. If, you know, if you're in a variant of this list, so the, the the old version of this list ran Living Plane. So if you had like Living Plane with Elish Norn and people didn't have any lands, well, it keeps them off of being able to cast any spells because they have no lands. Uh, you know, right. those kinds of things. She has a lot of value outside of that that lock that i think people kind of gloss over just because the lock is is so powerful so people kind of only well, and and we we talked about this long ago talking about functional fixedness mm -hmm. where it's like well this is what she does her thing is she right. she's part of she's a lock piece it's like no that she has other value beyond that and right. go ahead well, and one of the one of the things with it that I think is really interesting because you bring up the the land piece of this, which I feel like is the part of her that people forget the most or over pay attention to and go, oh, you got to run Armageddon, you got to run Ravagers of War, which to be fair, Phoenix and I both do. But the one of the pieces to it that I think is really important, especially in the current meta, is it slows turbo nods way way down because right. turbo nods can't go ritual ritual. Uh, ad nauseum and go into it or land, land or or like uh, what am I trying to get at? Um, artifacts. Peer into the abyss with... is a lot harder to get off the ground too. Yeah. Exactly. So I I just want to speak to Koppel's point because I I agree thoroughly. Um, you know, I, to put it succinctly, in my opinion, Lavinia's stock has gone way up recently. Um, you know, we're, we we've just gotten you know a, a, a new zero jeweled lotus, right? Like if you can get Lavinia down turn one and you're on the play right. off of a chrome mox or something and somebody was really counting on that jeweled lotus to give them a really explosive start great right. you know that's already uh, one extra zero that people are running people are running fierce guardianship people are running deflecting swat uh people are now running roger rogrick 
that's going to be a major, major part of the meta. Oh, I and hadn't even thought about that. Turns out <laughs> that you can't actually cast him if Lavinia is in play. Uh, I mean, obviously, all of these zeros require that you get Lavinia down first, for the most right. part. Um, but you know, I think what we're seeing is this kind of increasing trend of like free spells or right. you know alternate casting cost spells. Um, <clears throat> All these things that Lavinia is sort of increasingly powerful against, and additionally, as you know, you both were touching upon, um, she's also just really, really good against ad nauseum. I think mm -hmm. she's a case of another hate piece that was being held back by uh, the dominance of Flash Hulk, right. and mm -hmm. now that we're in a ad nauseum meta, Lavinia gets substantially better. Right. Well, in Phoenix tonight, because we run the Omen Pool meta. We were, I mean, when Flash was a thing, and especially when uh, Thassa's Oracle came out, we were just straight up telling people in the Discord, do not play this deck right now. Like, it's just, it's bad. And then it gets banned, and then Dan gets printed, and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, hey, it's, the deck's suddenly really good. Um, Changes just that quickly. I, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, that is a good point. But, you know, we're talking to... I have a soft spot for Lavinia. If I were going to tutor, just because I've, I've loved this. Uh, nobody in the... When you're listening to this, you won't be able to see this, but for the people who are in the group chat with me right now, you'll see Liv, I have a Lavinia poster right behind me. Mm -hmm. I like that card. Um, but so we talked about some of those similarities. Um, you know, mana bases, there are some differences, you know, like Phyrexian Tower that Cobblepot has. I'm assuming that's some sort of interaction with Academy Rector, am I right. incorrect? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you have that, um, you know, mild differences, you know, which, you know, uh, actually not even mild. It's really just the difference between Phoenix and po Phoenix, Co Pongo's mana base and Cobblepot's mana base. Right. Phoenix, I'm willing to bet you just straight up copy Pongo's mana base. Yeah, we have perfect I, five color mana. I would be interested <laughs> to hear why you guys are not running Ancient Tomb being on a Kenrith deck. Um, do you want to answer this or? Um, I can go for it. Yeah, so basically, um, it's mainly just a question of uh, the deck being extremely hungry for colored mana, uh, having like sort of really stringent uh, colored mana requirements for pretty much most of the spells in the deck. Uh, it is a card I have given some thought to because obviously, you know, we do have kind of a higher curve than the average deck. So, you know, if you do get a, a hand with, like, three lands in it, you know, two sort of, um, let's say, dual lands that have, um, uh, that, that cover four different colors and Ancient Tomb, you, you're often going to be okay in that position. But, uh, no, most of the time, I'm, like I said, I'm mulliganing aggressively for, ideally, like, a turn one piece of interaction. Mm -hmm. And since I'm not playing, for example, uh, Chalice of the Void... I have, you know, even one fewer thing that I'm going to be powering out with uh, my Ancient Tomb turn one, uh, as far as, you know, really strong disruptive options are concerned. I mean, um, yeah. a, a Chalice on one, on, on turn one, is, it feels really good. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> as a modern player, I can confirm this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we kind of, the mana base is the mana base, right? You know, you're all running Gaia's Cradle, you're all running you know, very similar things uh, when it comes to that. One of the interesting things here, and this is something uh, that I wanted to point out, 
I uh, really want to touch on is Cobblepot. You're playing Ashiok Dreamrender and Oko Thief of Crowns. Yes. So, um, Ashiok is, I mean, is 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 eventually going to turn into opposition agent, but um, right. Ashiok and Mind Sensor have been in there for for a long time. Uh, Leon and um, Arbiter was also in there for a period. the The idea is that when when you're running a list that is very oriented around hate permanence the way that your opponents are going to interact with them especially if you've got kind of a very diverse portfolio of hate so you're gonna have creatures and enchantments and artifacts that are going to be stifling their game plan in different ways it's unlikely most of the time that they're going to have the response that they need in hand to be able to unseat whatever hate that is so that they can move forward with their game plan so the, the expectation is that's okay most of the time. I'll tutor for the thing that I need so that I can uh, you know, find the removal that I need to get back onto my game. Which is why in proactive, permanent-oriented hate lists, things that hate on tutors are much more powerful because not only are you depriving of the your, your opponents of being on the, their desired game plan, you're also depriving them of being able to find a response to get back once you've right. uh, put them into that that situation. So that and is the explanation why, for Ashayak. And, 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 and we're going to touch on uh, some of these new cards that are coming out of this new set because uh, I know we're doing a, a set review that will be coming out Wednesday. Um, the, the the interesting thing with Opposition Agent is it may, it's like, uh, Ash, it's like it's really interesting because it's like if you take Ashiok, Avon Mind Sensor, and Praetor's Grasp, and just kind of shove them all together, and uh, you kind of end up getting this uh, really twisted, disgusting amalgamation of a card. Um, I think and, it's beautiful. You know, yes, I mean, I, it's very good. Listen, I, I'm like Rebel. I played, uh, I, I had built a five colors to say consultation list that is now just bone. Um, and I'll probably never be able to play it again. So I'm a little sad. Um, but like I said, we'll talk about it a little bit more on Wednesday. Uh, but so Ashia kind of, like you said, is really filling that role right now. And so that's like going to be opposition agent, you said? Probably. Okay. That's the thing that I'm most likely to slot out in order to put opposition into the, gotcha. the list. Okay. And then with Oko, um, Oko so, has, is Oko, Oko, it's amazing. So, right. So, um, this, this is something that we already know. And, and I mean, it, through the lens of opposition agent, this is something that's going to become more prevalent, is that a lot of lists really don't run enough interaction. And when I'm saying interaction, this what I'm meaning here is spot removal or you know removal that is flexible for being able to, to get rid of different types of disruption. And... Um, my list is running Oko, and it's also uh, running the the new uh, creature Skyclave Apparition. Um, mm -hmm. Both of those are just very very flexible to deal with whatever somebody comes up with, whether it's their commander, uh, whether it is a hate piece that is really poisonous to what we want to be doing. Um, Oko in particular is just great, just because it's. You know, repeatable every single turn until somebody finally does something about it. Um, <laughs> it it it's a, a much better 
in, in CEDH than I, I think a lot of people give it credit for. Um, I, 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 w- I would probably rate it higher than Gilded Drake in a lot of cases. And I, I understand the... That's a pretty hot <laughs> uh, take. The, the, yeah, I, I understand the impact of, of, of what saying that um, yeah. kind of connotes. But um, it's especially moving into a metagame where opposition agent is going to be a thing. One, people will need to either be running more removal to be able to get it off the table so they can be, be playing their games. And, mm-hmm. and two, they're, they're just going to need to play their tutors differently. So mm-hmm. um, Now, and it's, it's important to note, because there was something that came to the forefront, at least in the judge community, when Oko was printed, where if you Oko a Magus of the Moon, uh, all non-basics are still uh, mountains, which is hilarious. However, I will like to point out that with the layering, I'm almost 100% positive because of the wording on Opposition Agent. If you Oko it, that will go away. Yes. Yeah, uh, you would have to look at layers, um, like typesetting yeah. effects um, for lands, for example. Um, it would it would take place, I think, before uh, the uh, Oko typesetting effect occurs um, on for the case of um, Magus of the Moon, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm not a hundred a hundred percent sure because I haven't really this actually is... thought about it. But I think you're right about opposition agent. This is something I want to revisit on Wednesday a little bit more because I do think it's relevant. Um, because especially with you know um, Oko being in this deck, it's in other decks I know um, that's starting to become a little bit more popular. I'm curious, and I'm going to do some research. I'm going to talk to some judge friends in Slack and find this out for that episode specifically. Um, But my curiosity is if the first part of the U control uh, sticks around, but the exile does not. I'm really curious. I don't think it does, Um, but I'll try to get a definitive answer for us uh, for our set review. And like I said, that's coming out on Wednesday. So we played Oko. Um, like you said, Cobblepot, uh, it kind of fills a lot of roles that spot removal. Um, it has a minus ability it, too. So when your opponents do play right. an opposition agent, no, that's a thing. Take it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I, I think actually, you know, this kind of probably goes to, um, it speaks to maybe some philosophical differences that, uh, my list has, um, from, from Cobbles. Uh, and I, I imagine Phoenixes as well by extension. Um, I, I guess I would probably say that I'm just generally more pessimistic. Um, so in my experience, like planeswalkers are not as reliable as I would like. Um, you know, they if people want them gone, people will tend to collude essentially to remove them uh, from the battlefield. Um, you know, I've seen that time and time again with effects like Narset. I've seen that time and time again with effects like Ashiok, even Oko, to to a certain extent. Um, now, obviously, in this list, that may be less the case because obviously this deck, you know, has a five-five commander <laughs> um, right. that can protect them pretty well. Uh, additionally, it has you know quite a, a high number of creatures which yeah. uh, can can protect them a little bit better. But beyond that, I also find that. Uh, they tend to not do things in the time frame that I'm most concerned about, which is, again, returning to this early game issue. Um, there's also just kind of this idea that 
Um, I'm mostly concerned about right now addressing sort of the, um, let's say the big bad of the meta, which is kind of like these Turbo Nas style decks. And, you know, I don't know that an effect like Oko necessarily does enough, in my opinion, to deal with that matchup. Um, so it's certainly, it's a good tool to have, but I don't know that it's a tool that I necessarily want to have in my toolbox personally. Um, additionally, I think that, um, you know, one of the big differences that we see is that Cobble's list uh, runs a lot of cards that interact well with one another, um, which, you know, I, I do think that, like, the synergy-based approach is, you know, it, it has high potential upside but obviously you run the risk of it either not happening on sort of the time frame that you're most concerned about so for me that's the concern is that um there there's like a certain time frame at which uh i'm most concerned about surviving and i don't want to have you know these i don't want to have to draw into these pieces that are mostly applicable a bit later on um so so again you know i like i said i think uh I take a pessimistic approach. <laughs> and, I, and also, um, I do think that we... One thing that I'm not sure I think, like... I One thing I disagree with Cobblepot, I think, more directly with um, is uh, the point about people playing uh, removal. I think, actually, people are playing way more removal for creatures now than ever kind of before because people... Not, like, hard removal... But people are playing a lot of bounce effects because comboing with Dockside is such a major part of the, the metagame right now. So there is a lot of creature removal in particular. Um, so while that, yeah. that, that seems like it, it's, it's possible, um, we're, we're, I, I was uh, talking to, to, to Mike Levine about this with respect to the, the most recent tournament, um, the Oktoberfest, and how that was a uh, it, it was very clear that in in that particular subset you know that that particular sample um removal was very very underrepresented and that might just be because you know that was a uh, a particular uh, subset of, of of decks that were kind of clustered around trying to um you know all be you know fast gnaws and they weren't necessarily on dockside or whatever but um he was noticing that there was he he was in almost every case the only person who was policing the table with with creature removal and so on and that was actually part of how he was able to um it, it helped him uh with his percentage uh, at the tables he was noticing so i i i think that um it's it's hard to speak in universal terms about the CEDH meta when we're so siloed across so many little little islands I, I agree and ponds. with that. Yeah. So this kind of is very interesting, and I kind of man, I, we could we could probably do a, just a meta <laughs> analysis, honestly. Um, but there's you know we, we we've talked about opposition agent, and obviously that has sparked some debate, especially around the idea of removal and all of that. But we're also talking about uh, some new cards, and that's something I want to touch on here briefly. And I know we've gone on for an hour and a half, and uh, hopefully I'm not taking too much of your guys' time with this. No, we're we're talking about these newer cards. So we we talked about Opposition Agent, right? 
Um, there's another card that's a Notion Thief-esque type card uh, that was just announced in the past few days too of Hole Breacher. And Hole Breacher, and like, we're gonna address this again, like I said, really breaking down the quality of the card and all those things. Is this a card that this run at, like Phoenix in your list, would you think about running this? Probably not. I think that, I mean, speaking of that card specifically, I think it works the best when you are playing wheel effects in your deck. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can replace Lion's Eye Diamond in a breach combo with it, and we can maybe leave that for a set review, but um, yeah. I don't think that the card has enough inherent synergy to value playing over anything else. It does mm-hmm. stop card draw, which is something that I don't have a ton of effects in this deck for. It does generate mana, which yeah. is which is you know important, especially in a deck like this. And, and so you know, and then I'll, I'll toss that same question over to Pongo. I mean, like, would would you consider this card in that list? I think into the right metagame, I would absolutely consider running it. Um, so, like, what metagame specifically then would you be thinking about? So, in particular, I would be considering running this against decks that are themselves trying to leverage a lot of wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, at that point, it's a super powerful disruptive piece because people mm-hmm. are, you know, a lot of the time going to be playing this game plan of kind of dumping their hand of mana and, and wheeling. Um, if you can get this down quickly enough, then you can kind of disrupt that game plan. Um, I, I guess, like, I still do agree with Phoenix that, like, my main issue with the card is that you know hating on draw effects is not necessarily going to be a strong enough form of disruption for us to actually like mm-hmm. it consistently um bridge again that that early game you know if we're playing this on turn two it's possible that we still end up losing to you know end step vampiric tutor for ad nauseum right where mm-hmm. where a rule of law effect would be a considerably stronger in that position um so i think you know it's a super powerful hate bear uh certainly will always be like in my considering section of my deck list and Mm -hmm. you know uh if i find myself in like a grindy enough situation or i know that it's going to have particularly high value then i'm going to certainly value it higher um Mm -hmm. you know the fact that we weren't playing notion thief already kind of leads me to think that like okay well this is one less mana. It's certainly stronger in that respect, but maybe we were not that concerned about this effect to begin with. Right. So, and again, I'm just going to toss the same question over to you. Cobble, is this a maybe board card for you, or is this a card you're going, yep, this is it? No, I I, I don't think that I'm going to, to, to be running it. It's, uh, as as both Pongo and, and Phoenix said, uh, we're, we're not running any wheel effects in our lists none of us are are on even time twister um so we're we're definitely not trying to to weaponize draw um which is where you're going to see opposition agent or not opposition mm-hmm. where hull breacher be at its best um right and if you're going into a metagame where uh you know you're expecting people to be weaponizing their wheels or you're expecting people to be on you know uh you know, Thrasios lists or, you know, mm-hmm. lists that are that are heavily tied to some sort of um, engine where draw is the centerpiece of what they're trying to do, then mm-hmm. 
that can that can warrant kind of a meta slot but for kind of the boogeyman that's in the room ad nauseum um so it it is effective against pure into the abyss but it it does absolutely nothing to necropotence it does absolutely nothing to, to ad nauseum so uh we really do want to be maximizing the amount of of profitable hate that we have against that game plan and this is not it okay so uh the last card then that i really felt like we wanted to talk about then and i'll start off asking with you Kyle, about this is uh you know that's pretty slim on uh ramp and artifact sort of things uh not necessarily ramp i guess we run a lot of tutors or tutors mana dorks um so if we're talking about this the boogeyman in the room right away right everybody flipped out about jeweled lotus i mean are we putting a slot for this in here i i don't think i'm gonna i i mean i might test it a little bit but my anticipation is that i i was not going to prioritize uh putting this in the list and that's mainly because getting kenrith onto the board is not a priority the the priority is finding a way to be profitably interactive with what your opponents are doing and jeweled lotus is not going to assist in that game plan sure it'll help us to get kenrith you know down but that's that's not the 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 thing that we want to be doing on turn one or turn two and i mean if if you open up with you know um ancient tomb and jeweled lotus and you could say well i could cast a turn one kenrith most of the time you don't want to do that that's that's not the thing that you want you want to be spending your money or you you want to be spending your mana on something that's like you know a deafening silence you want to be spending your your mana on something that's going to be holding up your opponents as early as possible so Mm -hmm. i i don't think that this is is something that's going to be a good fit all right phoenix you think jeweled lotus makes it into a secret commander dan i mean so thinking about it it probably has the spiciest lines in my deck where you can do something like Jeweled Lotus, Kenrith, and then Neoform Kenrith into Sun Titan and get the Jeweled Lotus back to then replay the Kenrith. But even then, you're not doing something proactive enough to stop other people from winning the game. That's only winning more. Okay. Um, At least in my opinion. Um, It's still close i don't think i would count it out without trying it but i think that the amount of times that you draw jeweled lotus when you want jeweled lotus may influence me negatively on it so um, drawing jeweled lotus after you have cast kenrith things like that um, may make me not want to play it but it's close and in pongo i feel like i kind of already know this answer because you already have it in this list uh, what's your opinion on Jeweled Lotus in this list? Well, maybe you don't already know the answer, but you do know that I currently have it in the <laughs> list. Um, I, I actually think that, that Cobble and Phoenix both raise excellent points. Um, okay. And, you know, those those points, I, I you know, I, I can't really refute them. I think that, like, there is certainly tension with Jeweled Lotus in the list. That being said, um, the card is nutty enough to me that, like, it, it has to be tested, right? Like, a right. card that will occasionally um, power out um, a very quick Kenrith um, in addition to letting us do something else potentially in that same turn uh, is, you know, it has very, very high potential upside. Um, 
the opportunity cost remains to be evaluated in my opinion okay well that's very interesting uh we've got uh you know we've been running for an hour and a half and and i don't want to take too much of your time but i do want to touch on a few more things because there's a couple things right here um because y'all have kind of tried y'all can you tell what part of the country i'm from uh uh you're a northerner yeah that's well you know i'm from like central ohio um originally central ohio yeah i've kind of always had this like uh thing not to go too far off topic but where you know central ohio is in this weird spot where it's like kind of neatly positioned between like the south appalachia the atlantic area the midwest and the north and it's just kind of like this weird melting pot of things um so i kind of have some weird sayings that i'll say um but with with all of that so you everybody's tried different things with this obviously you know like pongo was saying he tried this all the way back you know last year um where stuff before you know uh, uh, some of the stuff had really come out yet um so some of the discarded ideas some of the stuff you've tried specifically in the kenrith builds and so that's what we're really talking about that you've kind of moved on from and uh you know i i know with phoenix you you still have incubation druid in there is there was a time when you had Vigian graft mage in there as well and so what kind of was the decision making process b- b- by for moving on from that uh so incubation druid is generally pretty synergistic with kenrith because you can put a 1-1 counter on the incubation druid with kenrith uh Vigian graft mage is another opportunity to go infinite with either um I don't think any of us are playing it, but uh, Favor of Elder or um, any mana dork that makes more than uh, three mana, I think the ability is off the top of my head. Bloom Tender. Yeah, Yeah, Bloom Tender. Technically, Bloom Tender and Favor do it, although you can't get infinite card draw. But, yeah, and so that was. Yeah. (laughs) Infinitely large dudes, you give them haste. Yeah. So generally, it's just another way that kind of layers on top of a general game plan of just powering out Kenrith to give you wins. But I found that the card was a very dead draw whenever I play tested with it. And so that's why I ended up going by the wayside. Okay. Um, and then, you know, Cobblepot, you had mentioned specifically uh, the original version. You were kind of memeing on people, flashing out Archon of Valor's Reach. It made it into the Kenrith and the Fairer magic, um, and you cut it. So, what was the decision behind that? So, in in the era when Flash was still legal, the main win cons that people had were either, you know, Flash Hulk, ad nauseum, or, um, you know, at the tail end of it when when Oracle was printed, you know, your your Oracle plus Tainted Pact or Consultation, and uh, during that era, if you could resolve an Archon of Valor's Reach, um, or you could get one, you know, cheated into play through Natural Order or something like that, um, and just name instant, that was a universally strong play that was very hard for a lot of the tests in that meta, or for a lot of the the, the different lists in that in that meta game to be able to overcome. And I mean, Phoenix can speak to that. We had a game in our in our local league where. Uh, he and one of our friends were on. You were both on 
Shuffle Hulk or something like that. And I, I don't remember what I was playing. And one of the people at the table was playing... Greenwood Sisse, I think. Sisse, yeah. And he, he brings out Archon of Valor's Reach and names Instant. Um, oh, I was playing Yidris. That's what I was playing. And, or no, I was playing Thrasios File Smasher. And y'all just, what was, I think, I think it was Phoenix tr ended up trying to wheel me into Toxic Deluge over and over again so we could get rid of it. Right. And, I mean, the, if, in, in this particular, you know, set of lists was, you know, wanting to, to, to do copy effects as well so you know you it was never just archon of valor's reach on instant it was also on you know sorcery as well and um thus the the removal that most people had at that point um was going to be ineffectual because it's asymmetric so if somebody gilded drakes one of them or something like that they're still off of being able to cast instant sorceries um today that's um less impactful now, I mean, it's still it's still strong. If you say no one can play instance, that still is 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 very disruptive. But there's enough lists that you know, like Najila, like Godo, like Isan, um, Kenrith. Um, you know, depending on, on on what variety of Kenrith you're playing against, there, there's enough lists that are not completely shut down by it. Uh, and also the fact that we admitted um possibility storm into the list it made it such that the necessity of having kind of a redundant piece to go or not redundant but kind of like a backup version of dovescape um was a little bit unnecessary so mm -hmm. um pulling that out and uh, strengthening kind of the core means we have for accelerating dovescape or possibility storm into play uh winds up being a, a stronger list on the whole and um, i think I, I think it's a, a good card i just don't think it's as positioned as powerfully as it used to be you know back in february right and then so ponga what are what are some of the cards that you've tried out and eh, they're all right and you just kind of moved on from um so certainly uh Vigian graph mage was also uh, in like early versions of my deck um, and I kind of came to the same conclusion as Phoenix that I really didn't want necessarily to be playing a dead card, just to have a little bit more win condition, uh, like density or, um, like redundancy for that type of thing. Um, mostly I just kind of wanted to, you know, have the most consistent ability to play rule of law, play possibility storm or knowledge pool. Um, you know, and that's essentially what I decided with, you know, uh, sticking to that plan as much as possible was the ideal um cards that i've cut i mean you know it's unfortunate i like i don't know that i really have necessarily anything super spicy i think to point out uh to point to as far as cuts um you know like i'm constantly like just tweaking cards here and there but like you know if i cut like dovin's veto and replace it with something else like that's you know that's not that's not titillating or sexy that's just <laughs> that's just okay you know you swapped one counter spell for a slightly different <laughs> card like um so Saint yeah and veto's not sexy i mean maybe him vetoing something is sexy right. but that is <laughs> the card the, the card itself uh i think hey, it's, it's <laughs> card the card itself is pretty okay but uh but again you know it's uh it's kind of just like a 
generically good card, right? So if you're right. if you're swapping it for another generically good card, at the end of the day, does 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 that really affect does that affect people's uh, th- does that really stand out to people that much? I don't think so. Right. Well, awesome. So, um, you know, kind of here as we wrap up, and I'm going to make sure that we're posting each of the deck lists there. Um, you know, I know with Cobblepot, if you want to keep up on things that uh, different uh, things that you're adding to the list, I know you post about it a lot on Twitter. Um, but Pongo and Phoenix, where is it you guys do most of this discussion? Uh, is it in Discord? Where do you guys, where can people go to get in on this discussion around these decks? Uh, I guess I'll, I'll jump into this one. Um, I mean, you can always just at me on Twitter (laughs) anytime you want to talk or DM me. Uh, it's at team turn three. But, you know, where Phoenix and I kind of, like, talk about this deck would be over at the Najila Discord of all places um, <laughs> in, in the brewery channel. That's kind of where, you know, the craziness happens. All right. Well, awesome. Um, so here as we wrap up, uh, like I said, I did be, I, I was promoting, I did be promoting this, Jesus. I was promoting this earlier. Um, we are going to be doing a set review. Uh, Phoenix, are you joining for the, us on that? I don't remember. No, I'm not. Okay, so it's going to be me, Cobblepot, and Pongo. That'll be coming out Wednesday. Uh, and we're going to go down, we're going to break down the big players. Like we said, we kind of teased that a little bit. So if you want to be uh, hear more of that, make sure you like, subscribe. And if you want to leave a comment, that'd be great. Um, but, you know, if you guys want to sign off, go ahead. Well, um, I think it's been real. This has been a lot of fun. It's been uh, interesting to, to hear different perspectives on um, kind of, I mean, this is definitely a, a, a fringy kind of a list that hasn't really, you know, uh, gotten all that much notoriety, but I think, I think it's got a lot of potential and it, it's cool to see that we've kind of independently arrived in, in very similar places. And, you know, as you had said, Pongo, there's, there's some phys- philosophical differences there, but there's a lot that's, very near the same which i think is indicative of the fact that um i think that there may be something here that is tangible uh that Mm -hmm. is a recipe for success so i'm hopeful to to see kind of what happens moving forward yeah i think certainly uh i echo that entirely i think that the core that is there the core idea is definitely has legs and then you know everyone kind of has their own spin on it and i think that uh, you know, ultimately, as long as the core itself is solid and, you know, like there's actually sort of a consistent workable idea there, you know, all these variations are, uh, you know, different spices, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, mine just happens to be flour, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I've got ghost peppers. Um, ghost peppers. Oh my goodness. Um, and then Phoenix, you know, what, what are your kind of closing thoughts yeah i mean it's interesting that all of us have either oracle or pongo and i have tainted packed in our list but we're not playing both and <laughs> it is nice to see at least some decks that are not just playing tainted packed and oracle and demonic consultation um, well and, I, and I interesting think, ways you know, to win. absolutely and i you know and i think this is something that i, I really 
I truly believe is I think that this is a very well-positioned deck um, with the way the meta is right now. We've kind of seen a lot about it, especially if you watch gameplay. Turbo farm decks, those turbo Nas decks are the thing. That's what everybody wants to play right now. Everybody's playing uh, the what? What? What's the partner pair you were playing this Pongo uh, with uh, with Roger and Silas? Uh, there's Silas. I mean, yep. this is a great deck against something along those lines. Um, so it, it, as we move forward and we're looking at where um, Commander Legends is going to really just shake up the uh, meta here in a, f- a few weeks. This deck, in my opinion, is really well positioned. This deck, uh, really just these stacks-oriented lists, like, I mean, even Heliod to some extent, Lavinia for sure, and Fairer Magic, this Kenrith stacks shell. Uh, I really think this is a very well positioned list uh, heading into the future metagame for sure. So, uh, I, I appreciate all you guys coming on, and we're going to get uh, some more Cobblepot and Pago here in the future. Uh, but thank you. This is the Mind Sculptors. Like I said, leave a like and subscribe below, and we will see you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.